2: perfect home sweet home in the time before AT&T Fiber internet. What? What are you doing in me dungeon? It's the only place where the bloody Wi-Fi works. Oh, and you don't mind the spiders? Spiders? What
0: spiders?
1: Oh no,
2: they're
0: everywhere! Oh?
2: In the time after AT&T Fiber Internet. It's nice having fast, reliable Wi-Fi in the whole house. For sure. The dawn of a better Internet era with AT&T Fiber. Limited availability in select areas. Check eligibility at att.com slash getfiber. AT&T smart Wi-Fi extenders may be required. Sold separately. Restrictions apply. The Black Effect Presents Features honest conversations and exclusive interviews A space for artists, everyday people, and listeners To amplify, elevate, and empower black voices With great conversations Make sure to listen to the Black Effect Presents podcast On iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts Hey, what's up? It's your man Carlos Miller of the 85 South Show. Do me a favor, make sure you check out The Black Market, hosted by me, only on the 85 South Show feed. Subscribe to the 85 South Show to hear and tune in to The Black Market. Hear amazing interviews with entrepreneurs, creatives, and thought leaders, people who are doing amazing things in the black community. Listen to The Black Market on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I'm your host Rashawn McDonald. It's time to stop reading other people's success stories. I say that all the time, every episode, and start writing your own. You have to understand, it's about you. It's about your efforts. It's about your planning. And people always talk about the gifts and on purpose. I always tell people, if you have a gift, lead with it. And don't let your age, friends, family, or coworker stop you from planning or living your dreams. On my show, I interview celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and people I like to call industry decision makers. My next guest is a graduate of an HBCU, Howard University, Leonard Robertson. He's an actor, writer, stand-up comedian, and has a degree in management information system. Boy, you can be employed anywhere in this world with a degree like that. This year, Leonard is currently appearing on the fifth and final season of HPC, HBO's Insecure, where he's reprising his very popular character. The Emmy-winning HBO comedy series, Insecure, airs every Sunday night, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 9 p.m. Central. We'll be talking about Leonard's career, pursuing acting, writing, and stand-up, is a company member of the Groundlings fame sketch comedy and improv troupe and also as a cast member on MTV's from a boy, Nick Cannon's Wild and Out. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation from Howard University to Hollywood Leonard Robinson. How you doing, sir? How you doing, brother? Good to meet you. Well, you're up from Connecticut. And then you, that's, where, that's where it all started, right?
2: Yeah. Um, originally, I'm from Danbury, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Spent a little time in Tokyo and uh, went to Howard and really kind of found myself and found my place and purpose over at Howard University and and then moved to New York, came to Los Angeles, and and now I'm here. Well, you know, Leonard, I got to slow you down. See, so you just ran through your whole
3: life, man. Mm-hmm. And your life is really interesting. You got <laughs> judo in your background. You got wrestling in your yeah. background. You didn't want to get into that whole aspect until you got to college. So slow it down, yeah. you know, because that's what this show is all about. Because your, your, your resume – proves to me that people expect certain people to do certain things when they are headed in that direction. And you altered mm. that direction. Why did you alter the direction?
2: Well, you know, growing up in a small town like Danbury, uh, there wasn't a lot of outlets for people who want to act and be creative mm-hmm. in that space. And also I had parents, you know, where, where that, that was unfamiliar to them. So it's hard to encourage your, your children to do something you're unfamiliar with. Right. And so I, I dabbled in it as much as I could in um, in Danbury, but uh, I actually got into you know very active in sports, very active in, in wrestling and judo, and and for a time, you know that was that was my focus. Uh, but when I went to Howard, uh, I you know wrestled for a very brief time at Howard. Um, when I got to Howard also, you know, majored in business. So, you know, it's, it's years and years of not necessarily pursuing my passion and what I wanted to do. However, I think all those things I did in between are are the reason why I'm able to keep doing what I do now or reason why they, you know, that makes me successful. You know, the discipline and, and focus I learned, uh, training, uh, for wrestling and judo is the same kind of discipline and focus that I bring into acting and entertainment.
3: Well, you know something not everybody who, who wrestle could act. You know, just like everybody, yeah. who rap can sing. So you just talented, my brother. Let's go. On. We can throw that focus in there, Leonard. But you got talent, okay? Let's go. On. I appreciate that. Let's go. On. Let's go. On. I like to separate people, and give them credit, because a lot of people want to just slide that. Well, you know, he's focused, you no? Know. Well, he can mm-hmm. run for a touchdown. No, no, that guy who ran for that touchdown—that's his skill. That's his. That's his blessing. That's a, that's what enables mm-hmm. him to be great. And in, in reading your your resume and your bio, you know, like my degree was in mathematics. My minor mm-hmm. was in sociology and i went to work mm-hmm. for ibm and everybody thought i was gonna you know live a life i thought i was gonna live a life as a career mm-hmm. as an ibm executive and but mm-hmm. then i realized that wasn't me it was realized that you know it was it, it was it was it wasn't creative enough for me i mm. think that was my turning point i realized that i was going to be boxed in one day and i was not going to be happy
2: with my life was mm-hmm. did you do was that a similar tone with you Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, my father worked for IBM over 23 years. And, uh, you know, that's why we spent a little time in Tokyo, was transferred into
4: mm-hmm.
2: transferred to Tokyo for three and a half years. So it was it's in my it was in my blood just to, you know, be familiar with computers and, and business. <laughs> yes. So, you know, my undergrad was in management information systems. Um, I ended up programming and, and doing um, systems administration work out of college for a little bit. And the story I always tell is I had switched to a small boutique consulting firm and I was doing a lot of back end programming, you mm-hmm. know, making websites basically is the short of it. You know, all the all the engine that runs a website that you don't see and working long, long hours. You know, an average was 14 hours a day. And there was one day when a uh, project had stopped and we were waiting for another project and I had, we had nothing to do for weeks and I was literally banging my head on the desk saying, what am I doing here? This is not what I'm supposed to be. Mm. What do I need to do? And about the fourth bang, I just popped up. I was like, I can quit. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a simple thing. Right. But, you know, for a lot of people, you get put on a program, you get on a put in uh, on a path, and you think, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, I was uh, I went to Howard University. I studied business. You know, I I pledged Omega Psi Phi, became the boss list of our chapter. Mm -hmm. Uh, I served uh, on the undergraduate Supreme Council. Like I was very uh, everything I was doing was related to business. It was it was about, you know, organization and leadership. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was something I had an aptitude for, but I didn't have a passion for. So even even throughout all that, I was always, you know, in addition to, you know, The funny guy, you know, cracking Mm. jokes in the office. Right. Or I would uh, take acting classes uh, and, you know, after work, I'd go take an acting class. Mm -hmm. And that's where I felt more alive. That's where I felt more in line. But I had already invested so much time into doing something else. I didn't think that there was an alternative until I I decided to make that choice and Mm -hmm. say, no, Mm -hmm. I'm going to make this choice today. And I'm going to, you know, I'd rather put in 18, 14 hours for myself. Right. And figure this out, Mm -hmm. then put in another 14, 18 hours for some other company to, you know, to make them successful.
3: You know, it's really interesting because when I was reading your bio, because a lot of your qualities were similar to mine. I remember when I was a freshman in college, I, I looked at management information system as an option, you know, it's a degree option that eventually just wound up in mathematics. Well, I went through civil engineering, then chemical engineering, then I wound up in mathematics and I minored out in sociology. But, you know, when you're doing these things, man, as an African-American, you know, you're just trying to get out. You're trying to just build mm-hmm. your brain. You're trying to fit in. You're trying to fit in the white community as well because you're mm-hmm. trying to, Get that nice house, that nice car, and this is the way Mm -hmm. you've been told you can get there. And so when you start altering that, like you said early in the interview, a lot of people don't understand, Leonard, that, okay, you know, what a stand-up comedy does to make money. They understand what Mm -hmm. an engineer does. They understand yeah. what a bank teller does. But when, yeah. I, when I told my family and friends I was going to leave to pursue a career as a stand up comedian, I couldn't even tell them how I was going to make money, okay? But I knew <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about, Leonard. Uh-huh. You, know, you, you just know that's what you want to do. You're going to throw, mm-hmm. you have a plan of action, you have a passion that you're driven to. But then again, you know, we're talking about insecure, but you've been on NCIS, NCIS, you know, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. you've been on Young Shelton. So your resume is not just tied to the interview that yeah. I'm bringing you on the show about that success allows you to go back to your family your friends really understood why you made that decision how did mm-hmm. that how did they look at you now
2: well it's 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 funny because uh for years my mother would always say something like well you know you can when times got when times got hard and I would tell her like you know it's it's a little rough out here right now <laughs> yeah. she would always say you know you can go back to grad school and I was like for what? Like, and it would just be years and years of that. And but now, you know, people, you know, I think Jay-Z said something like uh, when you first come in a the game, they try to play you. Yes. Then you drop a couple of hits. Look how they wave to you. Absolutely. Right. That's kind of where it is right now. Like now it's you know, there's no way I could go get a job in anybody's corporation. Doing IT work, mm-hmm. I've been out the business. I've been out that business too long. Right. I right. have no idea what how they do things. Um. You know. Today, it's it's something that I would you know maybe have a thirty minute conversation with somebody about. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Cool. Right. Right. And then go about go about my business. Right. Um. So yeah, I mean, it, it, when you when you make when you do things that seem impossible or try to do things that seem impossible to people, the first instinct I think is to call them crazy. And that's what I experienced, you know, when Ooh. I quit my job and I left. A lot of people called well, me crazy. Well, well, a lot of people might have and... thought you
3: crazy when you play as a mega sci-fi. You know, a lot of people thought I, <laughs> I was crazy, you know, yeah. they were going, why, why? why, What was the rationale yep. behind that? But I would tell you this, it changed my life. You know, I'm going to be a, this honest mm-hmm. conversation. I was just flowing through college with no direction. Uh, Leonard and 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 I just I, I saw a goal. I saw I, I needed a goal. Mm-hmm. I needed a platform where I could um start start moving my life forward. And when I pledged yeah. Omega Sci Fi, it moved my life forward and it got me into the community. And it changed my whole perspective and the values I have by pledging the fraternity. That's why I always recommend people whatever fraternity you pledge or whatever sorority you pledge, it can be a blessing if you understand why you did it. Why did you yeah. pledge fraternity? And that ter- fraternity of choice was uh, Omega Sci Phi?
2: well I, I I come from a long line of, of black Greeks you know my, mm-hmm. my great-grandmother mm-hmm. um, Jesse Hathcock founded a chapter in, in in Dayton Ohio she has a building named after her at University of Dayton so there's a long history of akas on that side of the family my, my father was a Kappa my, my my uncle is a is an Omega from Fisk and um that was just kind of not really a question for me <laughs> uh, to be honest as a kid i saw always saw my uncle's brand oh, on, right, right, uh, right, right. on his arm and i just i was just like yeah i want to get one of those i didn't even know what it was <laughs> so your dad uh, didn't have the diamond he didn't have the diamond no yeah i mean yeah had, had my dad been branded i might have been a capper. i don't know no <laughs>
3: no nah, nah, you, uh, but you were right you were something. right you weren't right.
2: But <laughs> well, look, there was something about about uh the Omegas that, you know, my first week on campus, I went to a I went to a Omega party at Alpha Chapter uh-huh. and at, at, at our at the frat house and I stayed all night. I partied like I was one of the bros. <laughs> right. And yeah. I said, I don't know what this is, but I need to be part of this. <laughs> and then as, you know, you do more research yes. and you get more into it, you're like, Oh, well, this is way more in line with you know, what I think my values are, what right. I think my principles are. And so I'm going to strive to that. And, and some of my best friends, you know, still to this day, you know, are from that era, my line brothers and, and other frat brothers. And and just aside on, you know, my path into entertainment, you know, mm-hmm. I credit one of my chapter brothers, uh, Buddy Lewis, um, 84 Alpha chapter. Not nobody. For, yeah, well, you know, Buddy then. Buddy, Buddy, when I was in undergrad, um, kind of set me up. And gave me my game plan mm-hmm. because I came out to Los Angeles uh, to visit uh, this conclave mm-hmm. and stayed with him for a day. And he took me around and showed me how, you know, what his life was like as a stand up. And when I went back to Howard, I still had about a year and a half left, but I knew I wanted to be an actor. And he's the he was the only person I knew in that was in the entertainment business. And he gave me basically the foundation. Um that I needed to 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 create my own blueprint on how to proceed. And without his mentorship early on, um, I don't, I, you know, I probably still, I probably wouldn't be an actor today.
3: Yeah, buddy, uh, definitely no buddy. Uh, my LA day times, the LA times is, I remember I first met him when he was doing warm-up on the Steve Harvey sitcom Mm. um, Mm -hmm. that was on the WB. That's when I first met Buddy, and we became friends as well as lifelong fraternity brothers. That's the most amazing part of that relationship. (laughs) We'll be right back with more money-making conversation with writer, stand-up comedian, and actor in HBO's Insecure, Leonard Robinson.
1: It's finally here, the season of celebration. And no matter how you celebrate with family and friends, And in the spirit of giving, Kohl's Cares is donating $8 million to local nonprofits nationwide committed to the health and well-being of our communities. No matter how you celebrate, when you shop at Kohl's, you're right where you belong. So this season, give with all your heart with great gifts from Kohl's or Kohl's.com.
0: What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination. Our sense of wonder.
3: This is Rushon McDonald. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations. As I continue my conversation with writer, stand-up comedian, and actor in HBO's Insecure, Leonard Robinson. When I think about what you're doing, you know, I, I thought about when I was looking at your resume, I just saw stand-up comedian, and I realized mm-hmm. was in 1992, I did Deaf Comedy Jam. I did it oh, well. with Dave Chappelle, Aerie Spears. and of course, it was hosted by Martin Lawrence, and there were there were when, I, when we went on stage, and when I went on stage, I didn't have any restrictions in my my mindset, you know. And I and I see how stand up has been shaped by a culture, and some of it's right. Some of it we should be much more sensitive about how we what we say and the ramifications of how people perceive it, because people can take what you say and shape it to their own personal narrative. How as a as, as a as a as a working and acting stand up comedian, how has that affected you as far as stand up, or maybe maybe not? Has affected you as a
2: stand up? Um, you know, it really hasn't affected me that much because most of my comedy is, is very personal. It's it's really just I'm really just talking about me and things that affect me. I, I think that I think that oftentimes we can as stand-ups want to step into somebody else's conversation right? because we see something that's funny or we see an angle, but you know, you don't need to pick up every, every fight, every conversation, you know, you can just let, let somebody else carry that. Right. And that's, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say about that. You know, I don't, well, you like, don't want to get into, uh, you know, being a comedy police or, or whatever, but just, just know that sometimes you can talk about some topics and some areas that affect other people deeply mm-hmm. and it's not your fight
3: mm mm-hmm. Well, you know, some I, I'm not even guiding you into this conversation, Leonard. About uh being a comedy police, it is about uh certain things of having a certain amount of freedom that I had in '92. That today mm-hmm. I would have to think about is that joke. Is that joke worth it? Is that joke worth the uh, yeah. the the, uh, the consequences that might come out of it? You know, and uh and. And, and so now, you know, we we see us impacting various comics over the last five to ten years who have been who have done jokes in that nature that are affected their careers, as well as mm-hmm. how people perceive them as a talent moving forward. And my whole thing, it didn't affect me because like you, I was always talking about my lifestyle, my journey, my personal. Mm-hmm. I never went into social areas of concern or natures like that. But it is different, though. But doing stand up comedy is different today. Would you would you would you agree?
2: Well, I, outside of just stand-up, I mean, the world is different right now. You know, mm-hmm. people are becoming more educated and, and and more informed on a lot more issues than they had to be in the past. Right. And with that requires a certain amount of growth on your part as the artist the new creative to understand where the world is right now, the temperature of the world, and decide, are you going to grow with it? Or are you going to draw a line in the sand and say, I want to stay right here and keep saying these things? You know, you see it politically. Uh, you know, the last couple of years, the whole America first, bring back, bring back the good old days. Right. It's like, well, when you say things like that, well, good for who? Right. You know, because um, because because the, the words that you're using don't sound like it's going to be good for me.
3: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I you know, the, the the interesting thing about this whole world we live in is that. You know there are opportunities that come into your life that make a game changing role play in your life, and I'm going to say mm-hmm. that's insecure, Leonard. Uh, mm-hmm. Your your appearance on it because you did wilding out, and I want to talk about that with Nick mm-hmm. Cannon because Nick Cannon is a very good friend of mine as well. But but insecure is a is a groundbreaking series. You know, yeah, it, it airs on HBO. Uh, I saw the I saw the new season that aired. Uh, Last night, let was just say last night, the first of the fifth and final season. How did you get cast on that? And how did the opportunity come your way as far as an
2: audition? Well, I was really fortunate in, in that respect. And then I, I started auditioning way back in the, you know, at the pilot level. Mm-hmm. And um, I auditioned uh, and tested uh, for the pilot. And then that didn't work out. And then they brought me back in for another role when the, when the show got picked up. And that didn't work out. And it brought me back in for uh, about two or three more roles after that, before I landed the role of Torian Jackson. Mm -hmm. So I really credit Issa Rae and Prentice um, for just having the um, determination, I want to say on their part, to to work me into the show some kind of way. You know, I, Often as actors, we always say, like, you know, don't worry about trying to book the job, try to work, the, you know, book the room so that they'll know who you are and they'll find something for you or, you know, just do your best. But I I think in short, it's, you know, what is for you is for you. Right. And you don't have to worry about anything else other than that.
3: Well, you know, what makes that show work for me is that. And I think that's why you know they kept bringing you back. You know they said, well, well, he doesn't fit this character. We've like like shoving him into a role that really doesn't blend because the characters make sense on that show. You know when you look at Mm -hmm. that person, "Eh, that that person should be that person. You know, And so your character was the same way. It's a character that made sense for that whole thing. And so when you got the opportunity to get on the set and started seeing people react to your character, what was the biggest thing that you felt excited about and being, um, you know? featured on Insecure and then being recognized as a talent that's also building the cachet of Insecure.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I came on season three. Yes. And, uh, you know, waiting for the reaction and, uh, um, <laughs> I'm just glad, you know, the way, I, the way I feel about it is, you know, these roles, whatever you take on, try to do your best just to play it to the, to the best of your ability. And then the audience reaction is whatever people can feel any kind of way about whatever the character is. As long as you feel something, I'm, I'm happy. So I don't mind if it's polarizing for some people, but it just, you know, as long as I'm part of the conversation, (laughs) I'm glad, but outside of that, I'm just, you know, and I've I've said this many, many times, I'm just blessed and and feel fortunate to be included in this world and this universe because this show is so game changing and impactful for so many different reasons, um, largely off the screen, um, and it's just to be a part of that thing, that movement. Right. It, 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 I feel blessed. Like they, they've, they've launched the careers of so many different people behind the camera. And that's just going to further, you know, they've planted these seeds all, all across the industry right now. And just it's, it's going to take a little bit more time. But a lot of them are, have already started to grow and reap. But, you know, five, 10 years, to even 15 years from now, when you see all these executives, and producers and directors and they talk about how they got their start, a lot of them, it's, it's going to come back to insecure. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's a beautiful thing, you know, that they that when they had a show, they did, just didn't keep it to themselves. Absolutely. They opened the door for as many people as they could and and not only let them in, but gave them the room to learn and gave them the opportunity to thrive. You know, really interesting, and and, and and just to bring it back to Nick Cannon, you know, I, there's a lot of parallels between that and and what he does and Absolutely. what he's been doing. So,
3: well, you know, I'm going to go to a couple of things that I can't do that you do very well. That's improv and act. I can't act. I'm very. <laughs> I was amazingly funny on stage. You know, I've. I, I noticed you by your bio. You, you're a writer. I was a sitcom writer. Mm-hmm. Very successful as a sitcom writer, but the whole aspect of improv,ing which Steve Harvey, who I managed, was a brilliant improv person. And what, what just separates the improvisational side, Leonard Robinson, from the acting side?
2: Um, you know, they're closely related. I think you know the. The improv aspect of it, I do a lot of improv shows at the Groundlings Theater in Los Angeles and did a lot of improv before that. Um, you know, it's just on the fly. You know, we're trying to we're trying to make these scenes happen. You know, uh, based off a suggestion. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and hope it all works out. So it's a little bit more like, you know, acting on the edge of a cliff, I want to say, then. Right. Than just being on a on, on a set with a script.
3: Yeah, I, I I admire that. And then he was on the early years of Wilding Out, you know, which is mm-hmm. the ultimate which also is a groundbreaking show as well yeah you, you know so yeah. you have to feel blessed about your life, you know wild and out i I feel it's the, the way we have, we have to say it's the longest running black improvisational show in television history, I think we could say that yeah, and then uh the groundbreaking uh h b o series insecure uh mm-hmm. telling the life of two African American females as they interact between life's social dynamics, which is groundbreaking mm-hmm. as well so you, you've you've had a fortunate career so far, and with that being said, the whole how did the, being in the early years of the of the of Wild Out to what mm-hmm. it's become now? Talk about that transition and watching that brand grow out. Because you're part of two huge brands in your resume.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, I was really blessed. Uh, I, you know, it's like the, you you've seen the internet meme. I'm sure, like you know how it started <laughs> versus how it's going. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, for me, it's like Wild and Out's like how it started. Insecure is now how it's going, and I. You know, I, I have a lot of love and respect, you know, for Nick and, and that show and everybody involved in it because that was for the most part. Yeah, that was my biggest job that really kind of put me in in Hollywood when I hadn't been in L.A. maybe but six months right. when I got cast on that show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before that, <clears throat> excuse me, before that, I was just focused on honing my craft. I was just staying in acting classes, taking a lot of improv classes and performing and, and doing as much stand up as I could. And I wasn't even really aggressively trying to get on television. I was just kind of building up my skills because when I, when an opportunity came around, I wanted to be ready for it. And that opportunity came around. So yeah, being part of the original cast, the first four seasons of Wild and Out was a, was a real big experience and a, and a big lesson for me.
3: Well, the interesting thing about it is that uh one thing we do share in common is the writing aspect. You know, you were mm-hmm. part of the CBS Diversity Sketch Comedy Showcase and you were mm-hmm. in the first writer's room. Why writing? You know, why that why that's that, that goes back to that logic, I think, that's in your life, that focus that's in your life, that being able to understand two plus two is four. Is that what mm-hmm. what that's what excites you about the writing aspect, the sitcom writing, especially the comedic side of it?
2: You know, what's funny is Again, it probably all leads back to Buddy Lewis again, because when I went when I met him in Los Angeles, Uh he was writing. Absolutely. He was also doing stand up, Mm -hmm. but he was also writing. And I Mm -hmm. had that little seed in my in my brain. And and then somebody else said something about writing and being an actor like you're going to have to write, learn how to write if you really want to. Show people what you can do. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's one of those things where you, if you I try to follow up on if the universe, you know, if you see or hear <laughs> things three times from three right. different places, mm-hmm. you know, the universe is trying to tell you to tap into that. And so for me, the, the writing is is a way to make sure that I always have an option on uh, bringing my voice and, and point of view to the world with my friend. And without that, I'm reliant on somebody else to try uh-huh. and create something for me. Well, so, do. I do a great deal I do a great deal of acting, I do a great deal of of work. That's largely mostly what I do. In between, I'm writing. In between, I'm 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 writing and preparing for the next thing. Well, um, I'm just fortunate that I keep getting interrupted by a bunch of acting jobs, so they, you well, know well, the world's got to wait a little bit longer well, to see a little well, well, bit more already. Well,
3: well, don't, don't, don't use the word interrupted. That's a, that's a blessing. Though. That's a, that's a, that's. Don't <laughs> no, a right. You, you right. want them. There you want them. Uh, the bookies. We don't call them interrupt. We call them bookies. You know. It's the, you it's the, You know, it's that old famous cry. You know, you sit around the house, and then one day you get that phone call. You get three dates as a stand up <laughs> on the same date. You go, hey, where were these? Yeah. Why could not they be separated yeah. week by week by week, or month by month by month? Exactly. But, the, but, you know, man, I, I'm happy you came on my show, Ben, because I wanted to hear your story, and and, and it, I, I consider some things that you've done a younger version of me, and you're doing great, and uh, <laughs> you're a graduate of Howard, a pledge to make a sci-fi. Just a value system that comes with plays in the fraternity and sorority is what I push, and the fact you're mm-hmm. starring on the final seat of Insecure. Keep winning, man. I I, I would always be a fan that. of yours, man. If you ever want me to promote, I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia, so know you got a frat brother. I know Buddy Lewis. If you call Buddy Lewis right now, he say, Nothing but positive things about our relationship. So when you come through you, through Atlanta, Georgia, make sure you stop in. Now, come by my office and we we'll, we'll break bread together. Okay.
2: No, oh, no problem. I, I appreciate it. Now and, and I will follow up on that. Oh no, I know you will. I got. I
3: know you will. Now <laughs> guess what? I'm, I'm I aim to please, my young frat brother. Okay. <laughs>
2: I, I appreciate you.
3: Okay, cool. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation, Leonard Robertson. <laughs> Thanks for your time. I Appreciate it. If you want to hear any of my interviews or see any of my interviews, please go to Money Making Conversation. Com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host.
1: We will be right back with more money-making conversation with Rushan McDonald.
0: Thunderstruck. Adjective. Shocked and amazed by the power of fun on Carnival. Riding Bolt, the world's first roller coaster at sea. Brian got thunderstruck so hard, his 93-year-old grandmother felt it 3,000 miles away in Nebraska and immediately booked a cruise. Hooray! Get Thunderstruck starting at 289. Carnival. Choose one. Cruises are in US dollars
2: per person, double occupancy. Taxes, fees, and port expenses. Additional restrictions apply. Full details on carnival.com. Ships registry Bahamas, Panama.
1: You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald.
3: Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversations with your daily Minute of Inspiration. Recently, I spoke with the CEO and founder of the American Black Film Festival and Howard alum, Jeff Friday. We discussed how pursuing and executing your vision can aid future generations. You know how many black writers are are working today
2: and and got deals at studios and first looks? that if they were 15 years older, they would have been doing nothing. Had they been 15 years older, they would have experienced what you're
3: talking about, right? Where there's Mm -hmm. nothing to write. We feel blessed to have had the
2: vision and the perseverance. And yes, Nicole is the right, the, the third eye. That's a perfect analogy. As a founder, you get so obsessed with the details. You often can't see
3: things because your mind's not clear sometimes. So you do need that person who you trust to be that. If you want to listen to this full interview with Jeff Friday, it's available on MoneyMakingConversations.com.
1: Now let's return to Money Making Conversation with Rashawn McDonald.
3: My guest is Ida Rodriguez. She's a comedian, actress, writer, and producer. She stars in her first hour-long stand-up comedy special, Ida Rodriguez, Fighting Words. And believe me, she's fighting. She's, she's, she's doing it. Toe to toe. She's Muhammad Ali. She's all that. Joe Smoking Joe Frazier. She's Mike Tyson. It starts uh, November 4th on HBO Max, which I do have. I have seen her special. It's very funny. Ida's uh, HBO comedy special is based on her incredible life story, which includes surviving surviving two kidnappings, sexual abuse, and a period of homelessness with her children. It's a comedic. Then I'm going to slide right back to the word. Comedic, it's a comedic, no holds barred exploration of identity and family. A special concludes with a documentary of Ida's travels to Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic. The comedy special slash documentary celebrates Rodriguez's vibrant political Puerto Rican and Dominican heritage as cameras capture her reuniting with her estranged father and paying it forward for up and coming comedians. Please welcome the money making conversation, Ida Rodriguez. Good
4: morning.
3: <laughs> well, Ida, you know. <laughs> First of all, you know, I, 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 I my background is a stand-up comedian. Okay, I've done okay. deaf comedy jam, i T. I've done specials, all that's a stand-up. Managed Steve Harvey, uh, did share the stage Madison Square Garden, many large venues around this country with him. So, from a stand-up comedy perspective, you know, I always tell people comedy is like a 180 look at everything. You know, you might be looking this way, then we just flip it. And that's where we can see comedy when you might see sadness. And so your special is kind of like built out of that. You know, you talk about your journey as a stand up comedian coming out of the COVID setting and you're doing it in the Bronx. Why did you do it in the Bronx? And what inspired you to do an hour long special?
4: So uh well you know that's the uh that is the playoffs for a uh, stand up comedian is to actually get a special an hour long special. Um HBO has always been the home of um amazing comedy. Yes. Um the you know it is a coveted space for stand up comedy and HBO Max now which is you know the streaming platform that is creating a way for a lot of people Um, I've always wanted to to be there and do the great things in comedy that a lot of people have done and my heroes like you know Richard Pryor and George Carlin and so on and so forth the reason I decided to do my special in the Bronx is one um, the Bronx is where I was kidnapped from when I was a little kid my grandmother took me from my mother um, while we were in the Bronx and my brother was born in the Bronx um, and the Bronx is where I lived before I moved to Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom and I, you know, moved there. We were on the run with my mother's partner at the time. But um, I wanted to go back and sew back into the communities that that have sewn into me. Right. I think that many of us, you know, we ascend and then we go do comedy specials and venues that our people don't have access to. And so um, I could have done that special anywhere and where my people got to get profiled. And when I say my people, I'm talking about people of color, black people. Mm -hmm. Um, So when, I decided to do it in the Bronx because I wanted to bring something to the Bronx. The Bronx was devastated by COVID. Right. Um, Right. they have had a lot of things happening in that community. A lot of um, black and brown girls being kidnapped and for human trafficking. Just a lot of things that was, have been devastating the community in the last few years, always been there, but the last few years have been worse because it was devastated by COVID and the economy was bad there. And I wanted to bring money to the Bronx. I wanted to bring um, and I wanted to the people of the Bronx and then the neighboring
3: communities to have access to something that would bring them joy. Well, first of all, super talented. I'm talking to Ida Rodriguez, uh, her comedy special, Fighting Words, is uh, airing on HBO Max. When I, when I look at you, first of all, you know, you look so, it's, 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 just, it's just a compliment to, you know, you look, um, mm-hmm. first of all, you're very attractive. and uh, mm-hmm. but, you, but it also looks like you could be my fourth grade teacher you know you I you know I
4: I've, I've always wanted
3: to be a teacher. You know, so 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 that's good. That means that that means that uh that means you're approachable. That means that you have a kind heart. That means that when you speak, you know there's 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 a sense of a uh, understanding and sharing of information. And so when I was watching your comedy special, it felt like I'm laughing, but you are sharing information and then breaking it down and educating me at the same time. But we get to laugh at the education. Is that just part of your comedy stylings?
4: I believe so. I think that um, I work on not being preachy. You know, uh, a lot of comedians can be really preachy on stage. I like to come from the perspective of I have had such a, a such a life and there have been some things that have been traumatic. Some things have been hard. A lot of things have been good. I had an amazing grandmother that poured strength into me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think that it's important for us uh, who are comedians, wherever we stand on that comedy spectrum, to be true to ourselves. And so for me, it's about, you know, my favorite comedians are George Carlin and Richard Pryor. And every single time I watch them, even now, Mm -hmm. things that I've watched before, I still Mm -hmm. learn something. Mm -hmm. So I I wanted to... um, I just wanted to be true to my voice. And I think that this was an opportunity where I could just be me and just do what I needed to do without feeling the pressure or the censorship or the, or anything from anybody else.
3: Well, you told a good story, a great story, because it's a story I couldn't tell, either. So, it's, I would tell people it's important that when I look as a stand up comedian or a former stand up comedian, I always feel I'm gonna be a stand up. I don't just tell you that.
4: It's in it's, your
3: blood. It's in your blood. It's yeah, in my blood. No, it doesn't go you so funny. Oh, did you, do, you should go back <laughs> on stage. No, no, no. What you do, see, this is the difference between me and you, either. You see, you <laughs> are, are a blessing. You know, God just gave me the gift to be funny. And, and, and my mind was always weird. You know, I'll be, be on stage I be on stage telling jokes, and white people be laughing. I go, are they laughing? at me or they laughing at my show. That's how weird my brain would go. And I realized, you know, Sarah, so stand-up's not for you. And then thank God, you know, Deaf Comedy Jam came out and I was able to go on stage and make my audience that look like me laugh. And I realized, you know something? I want to be behind the camera. I want to be a writer. And so when I look at you, comedian, actress, writer, producer, so you are sharing a lot of hats, which also you share on this special as well. What do you enjoy the most? I know you have a great comedy special. I'm telling you right now, I enjoyed your comedy special. Thank you know, you. you did humor. I could not do. Which is a testament to your com- comedic skills. Because you have an eye out there that I will, that I will how did she see that? Okay, but then how does she have the courage? I'm going to use that word right there courage to go on stage in front of strangers. Uh, you know, you a know, special, you know, the front row you got, you know, that's your people. But the rest of that room, <laughs> you don't really know, okay? So you go on stage doing your thing. Talk about your approach to comedy item.
0: So funny
4: for my special, we sat the people that I knew in the back and put okay. the stranger uh, in the front. We did the reverse uh-huh. because um, a, the my the people that I'm closest to make me a little bit nervous sometimes because <laughs> uh, they know me, they know me so well. So right. I, I don't ever want to look and see a weird reaction from someone that I I know because then I gotta I gotta live with you for the rest of my life. Um, you know, I've decided I grew up in uh, in the inner city of Miami. I grew up in the hood mm-hmm. and part of what we used to do when we were kids, we used to do yo mama jokes. We used to do roast, you know, we used to call it, um, you know, we used to crack on each other. People call it joning, they call it roasting they call it all that other stuff, but that's what we used to do. And when I realized that what we were doing was processing our pain through laughter that I decided that uh, when I was, a, when I started writing comedy, I would just channel that and say, you know, how do I approach talking about sexual abuse? It's such an uncomfortable topic. It's taboo. People don't want to talk about this stuff. But it it happens so much in our communities. And I wanted to release people of guilt and shame. So I sat I sat down early in, in my stand up career. And I just made a decision that I was going to talk about the things that were uncomfortable because it helped me also heal. And so my writing process is I write first and then I incorporate the jokes because I think about the things that I want to talk about because I watch other comedians. And I appreciate their comedy, and I love their stylings, and I watch what they're doing. Um, But I know that my journey is different. And Tiffany Haddish is a really good friend of mine. What she does in comedy, she also does processing pain. She's also very physical. She's got a lot of physicality in her comedy. She likes to be really silly sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's just not my personality. You just told me I look like a fourth-grade teacher because that's just who I am. Right, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I um, had I not encountered Chris Rock behind the scenes, had I not encountered Dave Chappelle behind the scenes, I would feel like I'm not a comedian. I would feel like I'm I'm not cut out for this. But the people who I really like respect and then I, whose style of comedy I like, like Bill Burr, they're just like me when they're behind the scenes. They're just chilling. They're not like cracking jokes. They're not on all the time. They <laughs> yes. don't need all the yes. attention in the room. Oh, my God.
3: Yes. Yes. I know exactly. So I was what like, you're I about. am a comic. <laughs> I know exactly, but you know the interesting thing about it is that um, as a comedian, we always trying to get to the next laugh real fast. Or, yeah. You know, you gotta gotta hit that joke, otherwise I'm going to freak out on stage. You, it's more important to get your story out, and the laugh will be associated with it. But it's really more important to you to get your. It's a message in your stand up comedy. I'm I, I just telling everybody, you know. I'd never heard of Ida Rodriguez. Not a not a negative thing when I say never no. I heard heard of, it's okay. It's you know okay. What I'm saying that's so life. <laughs> they they know, but she's a stand up. I'd heard about her work that she had done. I'm talking about when I say heard, seeing her, and so. So when I sit down and I, I, do, I do my due diligence, if I'm going to interview someone as talented as you, I'm not just going to halfway go through the process and go, oh, Gary, you're funny, you're funny, you're funny. Because I think it's because I, you, have, you have a craft and it's a, very, it's a very key craft because you can't sing your way out of a bad joke. You know what I'm saying? You know, yeah. if joking going, you you just can't suddenly just start singing, you know, start tap dance. That ain't what we do at stand-ups, you know. When that ship start going down, <laughs> I, I, you know what I'm talking about. That ship start 100%. going down, girl. You are sunk. And so watching your journey, how did you, we talk about that's what you decided, but how did you get into stand-up comedy? And then when you realized that, you know something, I can do this. Those are two questions tell, right there. So I'll tell you the truth. Um, I've, I I love
4: stand-up comedy since I was a little kid. My okay. uncle my uncle David, who's my the youngest of my uncles, my mother had me really young, so I grew up in the house with my grandmother and my uncles. And my uncles were, you know, very... My uncles gave me hip-hop, they gave me comedy, they gave me Bruce Lee, and they gave me, most importantly, more important than every, anything else. And you mentioned them earlier, they gave me Muhammad Ali. Right. So... Um, you know, I always was fascinated with comedy. I used to grab the broomstick to entertain my mom. She said, I used to put a towel over my head and I used to make her laugh. Um, I used to sing, sing to her. I used to ring, but she's like, I always made her laugh. I always was fascinated with comedy and it was something that I wanted to do, but I wasn't encouraged to do that because women, especially in my culture, are never encouraged to to do stuff that feels masculine. Right. So um, I was doing a uh, my friend had a birthday party and she invited me to come do a roast because she always thought I was funny. And she was like, I don't want anybody who's not thoughtful to roast me because I don't want somebody to just, you know, just de- degradate me. Or yeah, just do me. me
3: for no reason. You know, don't, no, just,
4: just, I wanted to be thoughtful. And so she was like, I know that if you do it, it's going to come from a place of love. But she also invited Chris Spencer to do that because Chris Spencer and her. Um, We're classmates. So after the roast, Chris Spencer comes up to me and says, write this down. He was like the Westwood Brewing Company. And I was like, what's that? He said, that's an open mic. He said, you, my friend, are a stand up comedian and you need to because my career just was not taken off as an actress. Um, I'm tall. I'm five ten and that's just it's really hard when you're tall mm-hmm. and not white and mm-hmm. and let's just keep it real right. you know in this business um you know there you got Charlize Theron Sigourney right. Weaver but it's just been really hard for tall women who are not already famous cuz of mm-hmm. course Tyra Banks can get a role mm-hmm. and so he was like you should be you should do stand up you should at least try it he said i i i could be wrong he was like but um i know what i know and when i see a stand up i know what it is and right. I started doing it. Um, I was on the radio. Um, I, some, I was talking somewhere and Speedy invited me to come do Speedy's Comedy Corner on the on the foxhole. And he also was like, girl, you need to start doing stand up. Mm-hmm. You, you are a stand up comedian. So they had this comedy show that they were doing with the foxhole in Arizona that was hosted by Bernadette Stannis, who is Thelma from Good Times. The queen that I, I love this woman. But she was like the epitome of beauty to me when I was growing I up. I love it. I love and
3: it. And
4: so she they I go and do this show. And as you would know, when you first do stand-up, your first show you always do well, right? Because right. it's all adrenaline. Right. And it's all that energy and all the funny you have stored up from your whole life. And you just mm-hmm. give it to that that first five minutes. And you think when you walk off there that you richer prior. Absolutely. Absolutely. But then so you know. So then um, I go do first impressions at Chocolate Sundays. Um, Pookie and my friend, who's who had the her, the birthday roast, is really good friends with Pookie too. And she said, Pookie, you got to put her on stage. She's a commit. She's gonna be good. You know. He's like, she's not ready yet. And and um, Le- Leah's like, it's my birthday. It was mo- it was <laughs> Memorial Weekend. And she was like, you got to put her on stage. Three minutes set right. Uh-huh. I get on stage. I uh, My first joke hits. I get cocky. I see Pookie in the audience. I look at Pookie and I say, You said I wasn't ready, mother. You know what? And then I went back to my set and I bombed for the rest <laughs> of the two <laughs> And you know, when you bomb in, two minutes feels like oh, three hours. Hey, hey, two minutes is 10
3: minutes. It's like, and you really, know, it's like, it's, it's,
4: just, it's the just, worst. I just melted
3: onto the stage. And that, after that. Well, set, let me set the stage was... because I need to tell people about Chocolate Sunday. Chocolate Sunday is the premier comedy night yes. in Los Angeles. So she wasn't like at the a little side hole. And,
2: no. and,
3: and this whole comedy club is tied to the whole uh, Kevin Hart, which is tied to uh, Jeff Clannigan. So she was like at the who's who club. And it is yeah, on Sunday. That's why they call it Chocolate out. Sundays. And sold out. You go down there in Hollywood. Is a line out the door every time. So her good friend put her on the spot in the top venue. It used to be Comedy yeah. stores, It was right down the street, but it's not anymore. And It's just the Laugh Factory. And so she was walking on stage, and she directed her little cute little phrase. at my man, Pookie, who was a nice guy. He's short, too, by the way, just like Kevin Hart. He's yeah. short just like Kevin Hart. And... <laughs> She walked off that stage amid silence. I I remember one time I I walked off stage to silence and then the people started to clap. Right. And I go, no, 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 (laughs) no. Please give me the same reaction y'all gave me for the time I was on stage. So don't suddenly give me energy like you really. If it's to get me off stage, the applause, give it to me. But if you just applaud, applaud give me that same silence I've experienced. So I know when you walked off stage, it was not a good moment for you. How, but did, they you, were how did you jumpstart me. People, that?
4: People were like, it's going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> good, was,
3: good. I it love it. Was it. Just, and so that, that, was that the moment, moment, that was there, the moment there mm-hmm, led you to acting still, led you to writing. But do you the the be like but I that know was Chris the mentioned. moment
4: though when I'm bombed, though, mm. and, and, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but that was the moment because I did really well in Arizona. That very first show that I was on stage. Absolutely. I did there, I got an Oh, I got a you know, standing ovation mm-hmm. and I realized I wasn't talking about nothing. Right. I was I didn't have a set. I was just on stage talking and they were laughing at what I was saying. And I thought that was stand up. Right. When I went to Chocolate Sundays and I actually wrote some jokes and bombed is when I realized that comedy. Stand-up comedy is an art and a science and it's not just people talking. There is structure behind it. And that was when I bombed was when I said to myself, I want to do this. I want to figure this out. I want to get on that stage and get the laughs from beginning to end. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to figure out how to
3: do that. Well, Ida Rodriguez does not bomb in her special, HBO Max special called <laughs> Ida Rodriguez <laughs> Fighting Words. No, she's hysterical. Mm-hmm. And by the way, she's 5'10, but I got to compliment her. She has beautiful legs, y'all. She wears an outfit where she reminds everybody that she's 5'10 and it's white. And she is like, now, how did you pick out that knife? I got to go there because I look, I said, uh, appreciate her legs you are asking.
4: Huh? I appreciate you asking about that because that outfit means a lot to me. So, the designer who made that outfit is a, a Latino um, designer that was on Project Runway who reached out to me uh-huh. on um, on Instagram and said, hey, I, I don't know how, but I, he's like, I love you. I love what you stand for. And I want to, his name is Celestino. He said, I want to make something for you. How do I show up for you? So we talked about it. He actually made all the outfits that I wore in the special, the ones I wore in the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, and the one I wore on stage. But those cutouts that you see at the top are the cutouts of the Taino people, Mm -hmm. um, which are the indigenous people of Puerto Rico, the Dominican Mm -hmm. Republic, Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And that's my grandfather's tribe. So that's what inspired that outfit.
3: Beautiful. Now, let's go to the documentary side. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if I I got sad, you know, your your dad, you got to meet him, Mm -hmm. that uncomfortable moment. It was uncomfortable for me watching it. Ida, when you finally met him, it was, do I tug him? Do I open the door? Do I say, yeah, daddy, I what the heck is good? What was running through your mind, meeting your father and meeting your father being taped simultaneously? You know, I,
4: I it was, it was a chance that I took, um, a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to have that moment forever because my father's older and I don't know. I didn't, because of COVID and all of the stuff that was happening with his, Uh, you know, him being deported and not being able to come here and all of that stuff. I was like, I don't know when I'm going to see him again, if I'm going to see him again. But I definitely want to hold that moment because you can't see it when it's happening. You can only feel it. So I I wanted to go back and see it, um, which I saw for the you know, it was it was really painful to watch. Um, The other thing is that there are a lot of us who have not grown up with our parent with a parent a mother or a father Mm -hmm. and we have this idea about what it's gonna be you know like we had like oh when i meet my father we're gonna hug we're gonna make up for lost time Mm -hmm. and i just wanted to just i wanted to give a nod to a lot of people who have experienced this and just to let them know it's okay um you you know sometimes somebody's not in your life and you know The most high knows the most. And so for me, it was um, I wanted to just free a lot of little girls and little boys like me who haven't been around their parents. And to let them know that they're not alone, that a lot of people go through that. Uh, And it's okay to feel what you feel. Because you saw I didn't look excited. I didn't like. Oh, no. you! I'm
3: going to change. Like I said. When I say the word comfortable, it's good. It's a good uncomfortable because you know she is. This is a sincere moment. This is a moment that, you know, two ways she could have she could be dreading this moment and she could mm-hmm. be wishing for this moment simultaneously, which is a, which leads to like a lot of doubt and a lot of questions. You feel it all in that one moment right there, and even when he sits down, he doesn't know what to do either, you know. And so, yeah. so you have two people coming into a a, 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 a space. They, they know their names, but they don't know who they are. They don't know what to say. And that's why it's, this special is so good because it takes you on all these journeys. Oh, you're going to laugh a lot. At this special fighting words, I laughed a lot. I enjoyed it. I, I, you know, I didn't pause at one time. I, when it, when when she walked out on stage in the Bronx and and announced herself and standing there, five all five foot ten of her and the, the crowd so loud, they they standing up for her. The DJ announces her, Ana Rodriguez. She come out on stage doing her little dance and all that good stuff, and she dances her way in, to the Puerto Rico. She dances her way to the Dominican Republic, and then you know I'm a food. Now, I kind of got mad because you sent them to all that great food. Talk about the food. Talk about the experience that you're going back to Puerto Rico. And plus, I'll be remiss. She pays it forward, y'all, because she has other young comedians on the show and just recognize them. They're not doing full sets, but the fact that she allowed that to happen was a blessing for their careers because a lot of people are going to watch this special and just being able to tag that because people have helped her out. Tiffany Haddish has helped her out. Wanda Sykes has helped her out. Shaquille O'Neal has helped her out. You know, even Pookie helped her out. Her f- best friend helped her out. So she's always had it. Chris Spencer helped her out. Speedy helped her out. So she's always had this mindset that if I've been helped, I'm going to help somebody else. That is really the nature of your personality. And I just wanted to say, you are good. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan now. I may not have known who Ida Rodriguez was, but I know who she is now, and I will always support you.
4: Man, thank you. I appreciate that. And as you call that list of names, if you make uh, there's one distinct commonality in all of them is that they're all black American people. And I say black American because there are black Latinos, too. Black Absolutely. Latinx people. And I want to I want to bring to light that. But I just want to say that. Had it not been for the Black American community, my career would not have taken off. Right. And the thing is that I'm always going to be thankful for that. And I hope that we can spill that into our my community to learn how to support each other that okay. way and mm-hmm. to pay it forward and not to just blow each other up. Right. Because it's always been, I mean, Tamara Goins and Valerie Benning are the ones that, that put me on the Shaq All-Star. I was the first Latin person to ever do that. Wanda Sykes and Paige Hurwitz, put me on last comic standing. Tiffany gave me my first half hour special and that has always been something very important and meaningful. I grew up in a in a predominantly black and brown community. Right. I, my high school had two white kids. Everybody was <laughs> Latin or black. Uh, and we and we rocked with each other because we it was us against the world. You right. know, we had our beefs internally, of course, to yes. say that 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 mm-hmm. didn't happen is a lie. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, when we would go do speech and debate, it would be us against the white boys because right, right. we are all we had. <laughs> and I'm always going to be eternally grateful for the people who showed up for me. Kevin Hart also put me on LOL. He's the first person to bring to put me up on a stage in Montreal for the oh, Just absolutely. for
3: Laughs, I remember that. Comedy festival. that was a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm.
4: Absolutely. So you know, I, I I mean, we can't just you know um, exploit the black community and then you know, forget about them when we win, cause a lot of people do that. And I'm I'm always I'm always gonna rock with my people. And when I say my people, I say black and brown people, cause that's really who my people, that's who that's my people.
3: My dear. Uh she's a comedian. She's an actress, writer, producer, executive producer. Ida Rodriguez, fighting words. It's airing now on HBO Max. Uh it's a comedy special slash documentary. It's travels. It's an inside look at a brilliant stand-up comedy mind. And guess what? She's funny. Thank you, Ida, (laughs) for coming on my show.
4: Thank you for having me on my show and keep doing the good work. We appreciate it. We need you. And um, that's part of my work. My my work is bringing financial literacy to the communities that are like mine. And and we got to keep doing it. So keep doing the good work. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Big Timer. If you want to hear or see any of my interviews on Money Making Conversation, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host.
1: You've been listening to Money Making Conversations with Rashawn McDonald. Please join us next week and always remember, lead with your gifts. Money Making Conversations is a presentation of 3815 Media Incorporated. You are now tuned into the Money-Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald.
3: Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money-Making Conversations with your daily Minute of Inspiration. This week, I sat down with executive coach, pastor, and author of Chasing Failure, How Falling Short Sets You Up for Success, Ryan Leak. He champions operating based on the true desires of your heart as opposed to being pressured
2: by others to fit their expectations. I can't tell you how many business owners are just doing the family business just because it's the family business mm-hmm. and haven't paused long enough to go, what else would you do? And there was so much pressure on them from a very early age that you're going to take this business. That, that can bring about tremendous pressure of going, you've already filled in the blank mm-hmm. with my future. And so some people don't feel the permission to start over and have a clean slate. And I like to just tell them who, who's making those rules.
3: If you want to listen to this full interview with Ryan Lee, it's available on moneymakingconversations.com.